Trumanitarian. Welcome to Trumanitarian. I'm your host, Lars Peter Nissen. This week's episode is about procurement and logistics. And before you turn off because you think it's boring, just wait a second. It's actually very interesting. We spend a lot of time in the humanitarian sector speaking about issues like localization, decolonizing aid, how to engage with the diaspora, how to change the coordination system, protection. All of these are really important and valuable discussions. But we spend much less time discussing how we spent 65% of the humanitarian budget, namely on procurement. And the implications of how procurement is done, for example, the ability of local organizations to meet the requirements of the large back donors are actually quite profound. That's why I'm really happy to welcome Clara Barnhorn to the podcast. She's come up with a great solution to make procurement more efficient and at the same time more accessible for small organizations. It's called Solvos and it's a relatively new project, but it's also really interesting and it has the potential to make a real impact on the sector. So please listen to the conversation and let us know what you think. Uh, ping us on social media, like us, review us, wherever you listen. And do recommend us to your colleagues who might like the show. Enjoy the conversation. Claire Banhorn, welcome to Trumanitarian. Thank you very much, Lars, for the invitation. We're here to talk about Solvos, the social enterprise that you are the founder and CEO of. But before we jump in, could you tell us a bit about your background? Yes, so I studied humanitarian assistance in Dublin. And from the day one after graduation, I realized if I really would like to make a change possible, because that's why I wanted to study and make our sector add something valuable to the sector, I thought we have to start at logistics. If I don't understand how things happen on the ground, we can never make a change possible. So that's why I started as a logistician within MSF. And I stayed around within MSF for a couple of years. So that's uh, how I started in the sector. And in 2010, something happened in the DRC. So I was in, in the Congo. We were running a MUAC screening and I just came into a village where people said, yeah, Action Contre la Fin was doing this seven years ago or UNICEF was doing this five years ago. And then it occurred to me that we humanitarians should be more responsible for how we're dealing with our data. And that's when I got back from that mission, um, I switched. I switched from operations to data-driven technology and data-driven innovation to make change possible because technology is a game changer. It's interesting that you choose logistics and procurement as a place to make a difference. A lot of people I meet who study humanitarian action are interested in almost anything but that. Um, so it's great uh, that you actually have this passion. Now, now tell us about the, the data-driven innovation that you speak of. What, what is that to you? So after a couple of years, um, I saw so many innovation passing by, specifically in the early 2010 up to 2015-16. Data became a very sexy subject, so data-driven innovation became, became a very hot topic, but I saw a lot of repetition. But I also saw a lot of things happening without a proper use case. So with a um, with a sector that was in dire need of funding, I saw at the same time a lot of innovation and a lot of uh, involvement of private sector that wanted to support this sector. So there was a lot of money in innovation. But then I saw all of this innovation without a proper request. So if we'd like to innovate, we have to make sure it's context specific, um, that it's new, that it's better than what's out there already, and it has a, a, a fit. And that's where we started developing an idea. And I started with it with a group of 
ex-colleagues and, and, and others in my network to think about why are we not changing? Why do, don't we make this knowledge open access and start to search differently? If we need a clean cooking stove, we don't need to raise another challenge for a clean cooking stove. We have to make it specific. We need something that works in a very dusty environment that can operate in minus 20 or above 30 plus. Maybe there's no wood and we do want to use it indoors. So search differently. So on one hand, you see repetitive mistakes being made in the field and the innovation that's supposed to save us and transform us is more about happy clapping and tech fetishism rather than true transformation. So, so where do you go from there? So when we'd like to change something and we want to bring innovation to the market, I mean, maybe we don't even need innovation. We have to look at procurement because that's where the request is coming or where the operations are placing their request. So that's why we started to develop a catalog where we search differently and integrate a catalog, a technical back office on your shoulder. So that solves us. Your technical back office on your left shoulder and your procurement department on your other shoulder. And that's where we can create different markets, open up markets, procure more locally um, and give this capacity to roll. Because the big NGOs, they have procurement departments, but not all NGOs have those. And it's about bringing procurement capacity to everybody. And that's what we developed Solvos. So let's say that I run a Ugandan NGO. I get some money from a donor and I have to buy some stuff. What can, what can Solvos do for me? So we have an online platform. It's called solvos.com. People can go. Uh, you can browse through the catalog or create your own products if it's not yet in or develop your service. And then with one press of the button, you're entering a procurement workflow. It's a, a tender portal, a request for quotation, request for information. And you can immediately send out your tender to the connected suppliers, which are in our network, which are currently over 340,000. Um, so we're making also this as an open access platform. So the catalog is open access. We share the capacity with everybody, but also on the supplier catalog. Everybody of us is doing market assessment in Uganda, or if we are to run a solar project in Bidibidi, all of us have to search on which service provider are out there. So it's about making use of all of it together in one entity. That's a tremendous amount of suppliers, 340,000. Who does the vetting for you? Or do you simply just scrape it off the internet? Yeah, it depends. We are an ecosystem. So the whole Solvos ecosystem consists of over 200 people, but the majority of us are all on call. So if there is an agency who wish to do something on clean cooking stove, we have somebody in our network, if it's not yet in the catalog, to support you with the technical specifications. And then the procurement workflow, it's an existing procurement workflow. It works. So it's, it's, it's out there, it's usable. And uh, we run a assessment for security cameras in a East African country for one organization. These suppliers are now in the catalog. So any other future user have access to those. So they don't need to run another market assessment. The vetting of suppliers can always be run individually because every organization has different criteria, but at least you have access to the suppliers that are already out there, and then it's up to you as an entity which supplier to go to. We're not involved in the whole decision-making process. It's just a marketplace to connect a request with potential providers. So essentially, there's no quality control of suppliers? No, that's not true. So we do more assessment. So we do have people uh, in various countries doing the market assessments with us. Uh, we do get the vetted list of current users, so the NGOs that are using Solvos, we integrate their supplier list, so also others have access to it, but you will never know which entity 
um, has contributed this supply to the network because of liability issues, and that's also what NGOs don't want. So for all 340,000, someone had an opinion about them. Yeah, they have been through a due diligence process. What kind of engagement have you had with donors in terms of getting them to approve the way you do business at Solvos? So what we've done, we have some procurement specialists uh, in our team. Uh, and we have incorporated World Bank procurement guidelines, the UN procurement guidelines, the ECHO procurement guidelines. So they are baked into the procurement workflow, and that's where we base our whole flow on. So that's the way that if an organization starts using Solvos, we use a mechanism that is approved and it's, it's following the guidelines of the donors. We also have a philanthropist in America who is now using Solvos. It's not a classical donor, but it's a donor that is supporting charities in low- and middle-income countries. They are using Solvos. They take a subscription and they give it to all their grantees. So their grantees, instead of requesting a check of 10K, they place their bid on Solvos. They create their basket and they launch. And then the outcome, so the contract as a result and their supplies, is much funded by this philanthropist. So we're supporting both the classical NGOs as well as the charities and the philanthropists. We're also working on a project with International Office of Migration. And that was at a session where, um, in, a, in an event where we also met at HNPW, where we presented our work with International Office Migration. They run, together with Innovation Norway, a program on reducing electronic waste uh, and greening our humanitarian responses. That's where we developed different uh, solution packages. If you are to buy a solar lantern, we can make it more sustainable. Everybody is afraid of sustainability being a 100% game. But any simple improvement, just if it's 1% more sustainable, it has a huge impact. So we developed together with, um, with IOM and Innovation Norway and other partners a framework for sustainability criteria. And we made them operational. Instead of another policy paper, we developed different sustainability criteria starting from the UN sustainability criteria, which are three, and we made them more into circular um, criteria. And then it's repairability and recyclability are two components. And you cannot make a 100% recyclable solar lantern for a camp in Bidi Bidi because there's no recycle there's no full recycling and there's no subsidies for the waste management. But you can make a simple step. You can ask if you are to procure another 10,000 solar lanterns that at least it should be a repairable one. Um, and that's the work we do with uh, agencies like IOM um, in, uh, in Uganda on creating these criteria. And it's a system change that's needed in our sector, a different way of thinking. So you have 340,000 suppliers. You have more than 200 experts working with you. That's not free. What's your business model? Do you pay a percentage? How does it work? So we are a social enterprise. Um, and we have a, a charity. I call myself now a humanitarian with a business plan. So that's how I explain Solvos. And Solvos has a free open access catalog, including a dynamic kit builder, which is all free for everybody. Because we think that knowledge that has been bought and paid by with charitable, charitable money sorry, um, should be open access. And then our business model is the integrated procurement workflow. So the ability to uh, build your tender and launch your tender. So it's a SaaS model. So if I'm the guy buying 10,000 solar panels, do you take a percentage or is it a fixed price? Yeah, so the charge depends on the size of the agency um, and in how many country offices. So there's no price fits all. So it's about uh, the ability to tender. We're not taking a percentage. It's just 
a yearly or half year or quarterly subscription of the organization. And depending on their size and in how many country offices they will use Solvos. Also for local NGOs, it's something very different than a headquarter Geneva-based organization because they will run in various markets. Okay, so I take out a subscription and then the platform's functionality is open to me. And what, is there then a help desk, a focal point to speak to? How does it work? Yeah, so we have... We have a SaaS model and a PaaS model, as we call it, procurement as a service. So we have both have a technical back office at your disposal. So if you are to build an NFI kit for Ukraine, um, it might not fit your standard NFI kits, which you're used to use in um, Dadaab or in any other camp. So we do have the technical experts you can rely on. You can give us a call. We help you build technical specifications. So the majority of these 200 people, and we pay them um, uh, when there's a request coming in. So it's not all volunteers. Uh, so they are they are the open access consultants collaborating in the Solvos ecosystem. Um, and same, if you are to run a market assessment, you can also request us to, to run that market assessment for you. And if you allow us, we make that market assessment open access to have these suppliers also uh, be available for others. So we don't pay in the sector. For, for example, a procurement officer of an average NGO, 50% of their time, they scan the market on which suppliers are out there. And all of these agencies are doing that individually and we don't share our suppliers list. I don't ask them to open up their supplier list and tell this agency has this 50 suppliers. But if at least we enable these mechanisms that they have access to other suppliers, we can reduce the cost significantly in our sector. You start Solvos in 2019 and have been operationally a bit more than a year now. And you're beginning to get the first clients on board among the big NGOs, some of the smaller ones. But what's your scaling strategy? Where, where are you going to be in five years? In five years, I hope that uh, people will say instead of we need to Google something, that we need to solve or something. But we're still a long way ahead of it because procurement has always been such a black box. And what we're trying to do is a change of how we operate. And that's always very complicated, specifically in humanitarian assistance. Let, let's take the Google thing first. Google tends to be really, really good at search. Why, why do you think you can compete with them? We won't outcompete Google because we're, we're in such a niche. Uh, and it's really about giving information and to uh, people that are operational. So if we know, if you know you need to expand your maternity ward, that's what from operational perspective you might know. And then your maternal nurse might tell you, we need seven more incubators. We need seven more spaces because we see um, X amount of race in, uh, in birth and we need to expand. But then what we often forget is that our whole sector is operating in verticals. So these seven um, beds might mean also an increase in your clean water. So what we have in building up this body of knowledge is if you are to uh, procure an incubator, it needs to come with service and maintenance contract. But there's also a prerequisite in clean water. The most important thing in a maternal health facility is clean water. Um, and that's what we all link. So it's a very different uh, group than the ones that are Googling. You won't Google. And then it's about integrating the quality specs, the technical specifications with the humanitarian principles and standards like Sphere. So what you're saying is that the combination of the humanitarian industry being quite small compared to other industries and your expert knowledge gives you a competitive edge over Google? 
Yeah, and there's another big change is that we don't do marketing. So you cannot get uh, none of the suppliers that can actually provide something. So it's a neutral way of presenting information. There are a whole catalog. There's no makes and brands. It's just generic technical specifications and requirements for responsible responses. So there's no marketing. There's no advertisements. And you cannot pay to get a higher rating. Okay, I buy that. I believe that Solos will outcompete Google. Now here comes the really difficult question. How are you going to outcompete or rather convince a bunch of NGOs who seem to be very determined to work in silos and who already have built up an expertise of doing procurement themselves? What's your value proposition to them? Why should they outsource to you rather than doing it themselves? Yeah, if I know the trick, I <laughs> then uh, that will be uh will be easy. I know I think it's about the value that we can create. And I think first and foremost we as a sector have to realize that procurement is the drive is the, is the key to drive the change required in the sector. And that's the reason why we developed Solvos in the first place. I think we have to change the needle. We have to change if we are really to improve efficiency and effectiveness that's the no-brainer where we should look at. We have to look at um, how we spend the money. And 65%... <laughs> That's good. How to do it. Yeah, it's. I think building... Um, and we have to do marketing. We're very bad in marketing and tell the world that we're out there. And I think having a conversation with you today might help us already. We don't have to convince procurement. But what we need to convince is operations to explain that procurement is the key to uh, to increase the efficiency and effectiveness. And as soon as organizations realize that if you look at the 65% general spending on procurement activities of humanitarian organizations, and nobody's looking at it, even if we look at the grand bargain, um, we all look at two of the 25% of local responders. We always immediately frame them that they should be NGOs. Why not local businesses? As soon as we look from a more market market kind of perspective into our sector and address procurement as a critical component, then it's a no-brainer that we can support to make it more efficient. Yeah, I mean, you, you had me at hello, so you don't need to convince me. But But how are you going to do it? So the first analysis of the case studies that we have run over the last year, we could see that uh, by the use of solvos, we can um, lower, we can reduce the spending in procurement by 16 to 20%, just because of the time that is required on the specification of the competitive nature. The majority of uh, NGOs and almost all, none of them use a digital e-procurement platform. We all still work paper-based. It's either by email, of glorified email, I would almost uh, call it, and um, tender dashboards. None of them have actually an integrated e-procurement platform, and I think that is the change that's needed. And that's what we offer. We have a dedicated humanitarian e-procurement platform. And I've learned in some of the conversations over the last couple of months that more and more donors are looking into having NGOs using e-procurement. And that's that's what we offer. And we've been developed by and for humanitarians and have a dedicated e-procurement platform. Great. So the pitch to the big ones is that you actually can cut almost a fifth of the personnel cost in procurement because you, you do the market research and the procurement more effectively. So yeah, 50% of their time on market assessment, but still there's work to do because they have to validate their own suppliers. But the other big thing that we are trying to solve here is the communication between your technical specialist, your 
your logis, your operations and procurement. We can all request a blue Lamborghini, but maybe you need a transport service to drive you from A to B in Nairobi. So it's about handing over the right file from your request to your procurement department. And this is the most, most and foremost uh, where we can help organizations with getting your specs right, getting your request right, and getting them in the right format that really supports procurement departments to do a better job. Because they can only do such a good job on what you request them. And if you request a blue Lamborghini, they will get you a blue Lamborghini. But by the time you get it, that's not what you needed. You needed maybe a taxi service for five days a week to drive you through Nairobi. Um, and that's where we can support. And that's, I think, more crucial than ever is nailing down your technical specifications and also incorporates the humanitarian principles and also technical standards and quality st uh, standards. How many solar uh, home kits have we procured or tenders being developed with um, the, in the, the inverter not matching the panel because we forgot the cable? Um, and that's where the real value will be. You mentioned before that it is easier for you to convince the logisticians and the procurement guys than the rest of the organization. How can you position this issue so that it's not just a technical logy issue, but something bigger than that? I think that we as a sector often don't look at procurement as an enabler for all the big commitments we have made in the sector. And I think specifically, I'd like to focus on the grand bargain. The grand bargain, we say that getting more means in the hands of the people in need, and also that we should act um, as local as possible and as international as necessary, but we seem not to get this into our procurement system. And procurement is 65% of our expenditure. So we really need to change our thinking and having procurement at the center of operationalizing um, the grand bargain. And there's one more step beyond, because then there's also the commitment that we have to fund. The 25% of the funding should go to local and national responders. We seem not to crack the nut because we stuck at 2% for so long and it doesn't change, but we're measuring and requesting the wrong thing. Why are we looking at the local responders to be a humanitarian or a NGO? We're creating and keeping constructs going, which will not have a business case. If we're really, really true and if we really like to change and empower national responders and strengthen local economies and alleviate suffering, we have to look at uh, the local partners to enable them to be a business. And if we then start procuring more locally and ask for service provision with it, so we no longer dump materials, but they always need to come with a service and maintenance contract. If we keep on dumping products, and let's uh, give the example of the solar lanterns we discussed earlier, in procurement rules and regulations, there's a checkbox. Um, does it come with a warranty? And if you don't say as a supplier, yes, you will not be able to make it. However, our current rules and regulations only stop there. They don't ask you, how will it you execute this in that app? Are we really going to ship that, that lantern that's broken back to Germany or back to the US? That's never going to happen. So we as a sector should be more responsible what we're buying and also enable the local businesses to thrive. The supplier or the UN agency that's procuring that solar lantern for the DAP should request one, is there a service and warranty? And how is it executed? Um, and if the supplier cannot do it, 
the buyer, us as a UN or an NGO, we have to make sure that it can be repaired locally. Otherwise, we contribute to growing waste streams and we're never going to be more sustainable. And when it comes to the smaller organizations, what do you offer them? So a lot of small organizations, specifically if we look at national and local NGOs, it's very hard for them to access funding. And why they don't get funding is either they are invisible or there is a, there is a lack of trust of giving a 5 million grant to a small or local NGOs. They might have a very good bookkeeping, bookkeeping system, but they might not have SAP or they might not have other systems. And our current donor rules and regulations are so strict that almost forces them to go through the international aid agencies because they can comply to the donor rules and regulations. So we give a mechanism that smaller organizations can comply, can be compliant to donor rules and regulations and also have a reporting mechanism for their whole procurement, which is the largest cost component of organizations. So small organizations could tell their donors that they will use Solvos for procurement and then that takes care of part of their due diligence? Yeah, that's what we, uh, that's what we help to these organizations with, that it can help them in their funding appeals, that it's a, a reliable system, um, trackable, accountable and transparent. And there's a second thing that we offer these local NGOs is having access to this full back office. The big organizations, they have an expert on WASH and they might have a gazillion of sanitation experts. But not every local or national NGO has the capacity to have a back office with an NFI specialist or with shelter experts, with, uh, but they know the local context. So instead of hiring them as a consultant, we should have access to this knowledge as open access and thereby truly empower local and national NGOs. I think Solvos is a really powerful idea, but I also think it's important that it's based on a sustainable business model. I think you do too, since you set it up as a social enterprise. Right now, you're still running on grants to get the company off the ground. Uh, when do you expect to, to break even? Yeah, so we need another round of funding and donations um, and we're actively looking for it at the moment. But within two years, we're completely self-subsistence. So then it's really the, the system itself is, um, is supporting um, and there's no more need for grant or uh, donor money to step in. And when you reach that point in time, what are you thinking in terms of scaling? How big will Solvos actually be? Yeah, the sky is the limit, I think. Um, but also uh, the uh, the platform itself that runs, it's a technical capacity that we can keep on offering. And we also have the ability for all the consultants or all the experts that are working with this to make their knowledge available. And we accredit all the users and all the contributors by it. So it's not Solvos. It's we work, for example, with the IDA Foundation and we uh, opened up a few of their kits in the platform. So we give the credits to the ones that have contributed to that body of knowledge. So Solvos itself is, we don't aim to be massive. It's an, an ecosystem that should enhance uh, collaboration in our sector. Okay, let me ask this way. What does success look like to you in terms of the percentage of humanitarian procurement that goes through Solvos? Is it 5%, 10%, 50% of the overall expenditure? I hope that we reach 50% in five years. <laughs> That's what we're hoping for. But I, I exclude UN, of course, because UN has the UNGM and it's a different tender system. It's a different portal. Um, and it's also about how you phrase the NGOs. Um, my CFO will probably go for 10% and then we'll be very happy. Well, Claire, I hope to have you back in a couple of years and then you can tell us whether it was 10% or 
And I want to thank you for doing this work. I think Solvos is a great idea. I hope it works out for you. Thank you for coming on True Humanitarian and all the best in kicking Solvos forward. Great. Thank you very, very much, Lars. And it was really nice having this discussion with you. Thank you for your time. It's about the rights and the freedom to be For people to choose their path in life and dream Souls of men beyond what you see Stages are different for each who will lead Cycles of outsiders that get fat checks Fly in, fly out of places with slums and jets Ask better questions, pick apart, educate And no one is safe, we're here to build and debate We are, we are searching for more Open up your mind beyond rich or poor For the truth You've been warned, humanitarian. <laughs>